Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my long-term friend, um, young man who graduated from our local high school in 2017, Davis Amos. Welcome to the podcast, Davis. Thank you. It's good to be here. Davis is recently returned from a mission in um, the country of Benin. He was able to serve nearly the full two years before COVID caused all the missionaries in his mission to leave. And so this podcast is going to be mostly Davis telling about his mission. A couple of things that are unique about Davis, one thing that's maybe not unique, but just awesome. He's a scratch golfer, and that's how I first came to know him and one of his skills. But also when he graduated high school in the summer of 2017, he had six or more close buddies who immediately went on his their mission. And Davis decided to wait a year, and then left um, in June of 2018. And so the first part of this podcast will be just Davis sharing his story, why he didn't just go right when his buddies went, but just found his own way at his own time. And I know there's many listeners out there that often feel that there's kind of a wave of how to do things, but sometimes they don't quite feel that's them. And I have a feeling that some of the things Davis share will be helpful for you if you feel you're own path in our church is just a little different and a little at your own time. And then we'll spend most of the podcast talking about a very unique mission in West Africa um, where the church is growing rapidly, but in its infant stage. And um, I'm anxious to have Davis share some of his stories. But um, back when I was, I really started Twitter when I started interacting with the high school kids, I might've even been the PTA president my wife recruited me to be our local PTA president because no one else volunteered, and she kind of handheld me through the whole process. But I started to go to more and more sporting events, and I was looking back at my old Twitter feed, and on September 9, 2015, I tweeted that the best high school score that I think has ever been recorded in a competitive round at our local high school, Cottonwood High School, is a 63 by Davis Amos. Do you remember that day? Yeah, I do. I do remember that day. That was what, pretty fun. What course was that at? I was at the Ridge. I was trying to remember what course. Yeah, on West Valley. Did you have any bogeys? Yeah, I did. I actually, I bogeyed a par five and I had 10 birdies. That's <laughs> terrible to bogey the par five. <laughs> uh, what is your career best round of golf, Davis? It's it's that score. And were you a senior, a junior? I was a junior. You were a junior? Yeah. And what had been your best score before that 63? I think my best score outside of tournament golf was probably like a 68 or 69. It's just crazy. Yeah, so it was it was a it was a big drop. Anyway, and I looked I remember I looked back at the tweet today Davis and I was looking at the rest of the high school scores and our number you were number 1 on the team, the, the number two guy, which I won't mention out loud, shot 79 that day. <laughs> and that's a 60, well, I can't do the math that quickly, but it's a big spread. And I don't know how we did that day. Do you remember how our, our high school team did? Yeah, I remember. Did we there win was actually, second or third? There was another kid in the group in front of me who is a really good golfer. He golfed at Bingham. And he shot a 64 that day. <laughs> Crazy. And so he was like super low. But I was I was just playing out of my mind. And I came in and the guys in the group in front of me were like, oh, how'd you play? I was like, oh, I hit it pretty well. And they're like, oh, what'd you fire? I was like 63. 
And the kid, his face just went so red. He was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I was like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> if you come in with a 64, you're thinking you beat everybody by four shots oh, yeah, or more. Oh, yeah, at least, totally. That is crazy. It was pretty funny. Um, I think our team, there's actually Bryan High School. They're playing really well that year. And I think they beat us by a couple of strokes as a team um, in that tournament. But it was it was still fun. It's great. Yeah. Golf, high school golf is a great sport. So let's pick up. Um, you graduated in 2017, and you served a mi- You ended up leaving for your mission a year later. Just talk to us if I, if it's the summer of 2017, and or even the spring when a lot of your buddies are putting in their papers and getting their calls. That's not what you're doing. Just kind of walk us through what your mindset was back then, and. And the reason we're kind of doing this segment um, for our listeners is just, like I mentioned, some of you that just may feel your path is a little different within our church and trying to create more space for people doing this their own way on their own time. Yeah, so um, in the spring, I I definitely had thoughts of, of leaving that summer with my buddies and going out on the mission, but I had a lot of thoughts the, the other way as well. Um, I, I was playing pretty good golf. I knew that there were golf, college golf opportunities, um, opening up, um, for the following year. And that was, that was pretty attractive. That seemed pretty fun. I had a girlfriend, um, recently got in a relationship. So I, I wasn't super antsy to jump out of that. Um, but I think the biggest reason um, was that was maybe a lack of commitment to the Lord. And I don't think I, my testimony was where I wanted to be to, to invite others to come unto Christ um, when, I was, when I was still trying to come unto Christ myself. And I, I don't feel like I was more immature than anybody else in my grade. I felt like maybe I knew the gospel just as well as anyone else leaving, but I wanted, I definitely wanted my testimony at another level to, to go invite others to come into Christ. And so those are kind of what was weighing my, my choice. Did you feel you let people down when you didn't go in that, what I'm going to call the initial wave of your buddies going in that summer? Um, I don't think so, and even if I did, I really didn't care um, because, you know, I felt like it was my choice, you know, my life. You know, I've, I'm still going to serve a mission. I don't think anyone needs to worry about when I'm going to go, you know. So, yeah, I, even if anyone was let down, I, I really didn't, I didn't care at all. How close did you just come to saying all my buddies are going? I don't really feel I'm on. You're honest about your testimony, just saying. Well, I'm just going to go anyway and just hope it all works out. Yeah, I, I was, I was pretty, pretty close. I mean, I think if, if golf wasn't there, I didn't have those other opportunities. I think it would have been a lot closer to the other side of choosing to go out right away. Um, 
but I don't know. It's hard to say because I, I really wanted my testimony testimony to be somewhere else. Um, so it's kind of hard to say, but I think with my buddies leaving, it was, it was kind of tough, you know. I why was, was a, it? Why was it tough? I I was in a tight group of buddies, and you know, hang out with them every week, every weekend, you know, and they they're all leaving, and then if you make the decision to wait a year, you won't be seeing them for three years instead of two years, so it's it's a good good amount of time, um, but praying about it and you know searching for a little bit of personal revelation i felt it was best for me to wait a year and to kind of to prep a little bit more for my mission were you worried that a year would make you further away from serving a mission as you got used to college golf life and a girlfriend and your buddies were all gone or talk to us about yeah, that i don't i don't think i would was worried about that um, I was pretty, I was definitely set on going on a mission. I think it was just a matter of when. Um, I wasn't worried about, you know, if I play out of my mind my first year of golf, I I still would have would have gone. And I played all right, but I don't think any of those things would have effective, affected my choice of going out on a mission. I think it was just a matter of when. I liked your honesty, Davis, where you said, if I'm going to invite people to Christ and into our church, I've got to be in a spot where I'm comfortable doing that. Right. That there's a lot of honest integrity in that statement um, that I really respect. Thanks. Talk about what happened um, between the, you know, the spring of 2017 where you just felt, I'm not going to go in this wave with my buddies, and I assume you got your call roughly in the spring of 2018. Talk to us about that year. Yeah, um, I def I remember having a conversation with my dad, um, kind of in that in that winter and spring of senior year of high school, and he kind of just sat me down and he kind of encouraged me to get more serious uh, about my choices, about the gospel, what I want to do in life, um, because you know it's it's soon to become a reality, and. It's better to be prepared than to than to just sit back and think everything's gonna be chosen for you. And so that's kind of a turning point. It kind of pushed me to to want to know for myself what I want to do, to to make make my own choices, um, and to kind of push myself a little to find that testimony, find that that piece that will kind of push me towards making a final decision. And so, yeah, the I'm kind of locked in my choice maybe mid-spring that I was going to wait a year. And I think everyone that I cared about kind of just accepted it. I don't think it was, I don't think it was too tough for anyone to handle, you know. I think everyone just kind of respects your choice. Um, and so you know, that year went well. Went to college, played golf. It was it was all fun. It went well. I started building my testimony, focusing more on reading the Book of Mormon, getting a real testimony than just turning the pages and saying, oh, yeah, I've read it. But, you know, saying, yeah, I've read it and I have a testimony, it's the truth. And so... 
I think that that year was was definitely big for me, um, preparing to go a year later than than some of my buddies. Talk about advice for us parents. Us parents sometimes want um, our kids to make certain choices, um, and it's always a balanced versus you know kind of you know, helping our kids make the choices we think that are best for them versus sort of sitting back and kind of letting them find their own way. And it sounds like you had a couple of conversations, one or maybe more with your parents where there was some, um, and I think you mentioned this in your farewell, now that I'm remembering this, just the role of your dad. You come from a great family, great parents. Um, but just talk about the balance there. Yeah, I think, you know, every parent wants their kid to you know do the right thing and I think the the way that you help them make that decision or make that a reality is is definitely by helping them out talking to them having serious conversations loving them um but in the end you know it's the kid's decision on what he, what he or she wants to do. So, you know, you got to set the example and you got to talk to them, explain to them, you know, what, what you're feeling. Um, and, but in the end, you know, it's, it's their own choice. You know, each of us, we have the ability to choose exactly what we want. And that's, that's one of the greatest gifts we have from God. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really the choice of, of the kid that's going out. But I think the parents have a huge influence, but you got to have, you know, the serious conversations, you got to love them. You got to be understanding as well. So I think it's a mix of all of that. Yeah. It's a good answer. I'm still learning how to do that as a parent and. <laughs> It sounds like you've, you know, you've got great parents that navigated that pretty well and gave you space, but also at times appropriate encouragement that I felt as a parent, those moments kind of have to come at the right time. And if I sort of make the constant narrative about a certain outcome for my kid and they kind of know whenever I'm around, we're going to, that I'm thinking about something and we're going to have that conversation again, I find that's when I potentially drive a wedge between me and my kid versus having a relationship you're talking about based on love. And then at times um, that trust or that love allows for a helpful conversation. More thoughts about your parents' role in your life to prepare you for a mission, especially that last year or two. Yeah, totally. I think growing up um, in the church, my my beliefs, my testimony was it was totally based off of my parents, which is totally strong. But then you reach a point where, you know, you got to start making your own choices and, you know, leaving home, going away for two years off of your parents' testimony just isn't really going to work. And, you know, you grow up in the church, you feel the spirit here and there, you, you hear some amazing talks and, you know, they're all signs of the truth. But, um, you kind of, you got to get to a point where you're making your own decisions and you're choosing what's best for yourself. Um, but my parents have been awesome. Like they, 
they've totally been a good base um, for me in the church, you know, just leading by example, you know, not telling me I need to go do this and this and not acting upon it themselves. Like they definitely lead by example. And that's, it's easy to follow someone that leads by example than someone that just is telling you what to do. So I think that was definitely big. Talk about your testimony. It, it got to the point where you felt like you could go and you've referenced the Book of Mormon as kind of the anchor or the cornerstone of your testimony. Is that true? That yeah. that's was talk about the the role of the Book of Mormon and getting your testimony to a point for all you could serve. Yeah, I think um I think when I kind of made that decision that I was gonna wait a year and go the following year, I kind of made it a personal goal that I'm I'm gonna read the Book of Mormon again, but I'm gonna really focus on reading it and understanding it and searching for the truth in it. I think growing up and throughout high school, when I've read the Book of Mormon, it's just kind of, you know, turn the pages, you know, seminary, I got to read this, you know, get through it. But I don't think I was really reading it sincerely. Um, so I made it a goal for myself to, you know, get serious about it and read it sincerely. And I did that and it definitely helped a lot. It was a good base. And I felt good going out after I'd done that because I, you know, I completed a small goal that that was important to me. You know, I'd gained a testament of the Book of Mormon. Maybe I don't, I don't have it. I don't know the Book of Mormon as well as some people do. But um, just the fact that I accomplished like a small goal like that was was a good stepping stone for me. Um, so yeah, I think that was. Was that a suggestion that you received to sort of focus on the Book of Mormon, and was that something you just personally felt this will be helpful for me to get my testimony where it needs to be? No, that was just a personal thing, um, just a personal goal. Nobody had really suggested that. I mean, everyone says you know read the scriptures, say your prayers, all of that, but this was something kind of, kind of specific that I wanted to do um, for myself my own testimony. I love that. And I think testimonies come different ways to different people, but I certainly believe in the Book of Mormon, its role to convince people that Jesus is the Christ and the church has been restored. Right. Uh, talk about the day you opened your mission call. Did you do that alone? Did you do that with a family? Did you do both? Yeah. I remember my mission call came in the mail um, while I that was... That eventually is going to date you as old someday yeah. when, like, you're 80 and <laughs> your grandchildren hear that. I don't totally. know how they'll come, you know, but go ahead. I totally agree. Yeah, I was in Las Vegas at a golf tournament with the how team. How appropriate. And it was came in the mail here, and I got a text from my dad with a picture of it, and he's like, oh, it's here. And I was like, oh, man, like, what do I do? Do I... Do I have him send me a picture of it and I read it off from here? Like, can I wait a few days until I get home? But I ended up waiting a couple of days until I come home. And then I had my family over, my grandparents, my girlfriend, and I opened it, read it. Actually, before that, just kind of to cool myself down, I remember going into my room, kneeling down, saying a prayer, reading my patriarchal blessing, and 
when I that I just started getting super emotional, and I, I think it kind of prepared me for what I was what I was about to do. I opened it up and I read it, and I read Benin Kotunu. I totally botched the name. I think I read like Benin Kotanu or something. I had no idea where it was, <laughs> and that was. That was pretty wild. I kept reading, and then I read um, Ghana, MTC. I knew Ghana was in Africa somewhere, and then I said French speaking. So um, it was kind of it was kind of a shock. I wasn't really expecting that, um, but I mean it. It was definitely cool once I figured out where it was. West Africa. I'm speaking French, like. A lot of people kind of dream for that call. It's kind of a wild, you know, third world call. And I was pretty excited. Talk about um, your first, uh, I don't have any weeks in the MTC. Talk about the Ghana MTC and that experience. Yeah, so I was in the Ghana MTC for six weeks. And... The first three weeks were, were totally tough for me. Um, the MTC itself is pretty pretty nice. It's not too bad. But it was, there was definitely the culture shock. You know, you're not in America anymore. You're, you're in West Africa. Um, with, you're with a lot of West Africans, people from all over Africa, different cultural um, ideas and differences. And the food was just, was so tough that it just was not any good. And it was, it was kind of a grind. I remember feeling kind of homesick a little bit, like, uh, do I really, do I really want to do this? But the thought of not getting to Benin and seeing what it was like, was like, you know, you got to get through this. Like you got to go, you got to get to your mission. Um, so it was it was different. It was tough. You know, language study. I was learning French from a Ghanaian who had who had gone to a French speaking mission and she, she definitely helped us a lot, but you know, there's only so much French you can learn in 6 weeks. Um so I mean, it was tricky just the the mix of trying to learn the French language trying to get used to the culture, trying to get used to the food, trying to forget about home. It was a lot to take in. Um, but, you know, you just kind of push through it. I remember crying crying on the toilet a few nights. Like, oh, what am, like, what have I got myself into? Like, it's honest. But, you know, you just kind of, you kind of push through it. You pray, you try and get close to the Lord, get the, get the real connection and, you know, after six weeks, I find my found myself out of there, and I was in Benin, and that was. Is that an airline flight or? Yeah, so it's a f it's like an hour flight from from Accra, Ghana to Benin, Cotonou. Um. Yeah. And tell us, just start to share stories from your mission that that are um, that are highlights um, for you. And that would be helpful for our listeners. Yeah, um, there's a there's a lot of stories 
Um, but I think there were, there was, there was really a turning point, um, in my mission when, um, I think I was about halfway through my mission. Um, I was, I was in Togo. So there's two countries in, in the mission. There's Benin and there's Togo and they're neighboring each other. And I was in Togo. I was maybe like 10 months out. And there was this girl that worked with us. Her name's God Power. She has a cool name. Cool name. Yeah. And she's 14 years old. And she she would work with us a lot. She would translate into the local language, Eve. Because, um, you know, we taught in French. And a lot of the people would speak wouldn't speak French. They'd only speak Eve. A lot of kind of older mothers um, that didn't really receive education, but were still interested in the gospel. So we would take God power and she, we'd, we'd teach in French to her and she'd translate into Eve. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, we got a lot of good work done. And I remember she was, she was on my camera and she was going through photos that I'd taken and she she came across a photo um of our little our little room in our apartment and <clears throat> um in this photo you you saw our beds with our mosquito nets on them and you you saw our fans that were in the room and at this point in my mission I was just kind of com- I was a complainer I was like oh man like 10 months in West Africa, you know, I'm sleeping in a mosquito net, I have a fan, no AC, it's so hot every night, I don't get any sleep, like, man, I gotta do another year of this or whatever. And God Power said something that definitely kind of changed my perspective. When she saw this photo, she said, oh, wow, like, you guys have mosquito nets and fans, like, I don't have either of those. And I was like, oh man, like, what am I, what am I complaining about? Like, I have it so good compared to these people. And so that was kind of a turning point for me. Um, I kind of changed my perspective on things. You know, I, I tried not to complain as much um, because we really, we had it so good compared to, to what the people were living in. You know, they don't, a lot of them don't have mosquito nets. They're getting malaria a lot um most of them don't have fans you know a fan will just keep you somewhat cool so you can sleep through the night and you know god power she didn't have either of those but she she wasn't complaining she was just going through life you know helping the missionaries translating for us and so that was definitely a big turning point for me it's cool what a great story what a great name yeah can you share more stories um, maybe I can share maybe a little bit of a wilder story. Um, so in Benin, you, you use buses to get around, um, and it'll be just maybe a, a 12 person bus. And what they'll do is they'll, 
the fit, you know, 25 or 30 people into this 12 person bus. And if you're kind of in the outskirts, that like outlying villages, there's a, there's one big road that, that it goes through Benin, one cement road. And so these buses will kind of just go on a loop, um, taking people in and out of the city. Um, and so they'll fill up, they'll fill up these buses and there was one time we we took the bus into the city and um you know we we went around the market i think we got some vegetables or whatever and when we went to catch a bus to go out um well one thing you need to know is on these buses there's bus boys and they kind of open the door they collect the money from everyone getting on in on and off the bus and the buses are really more like large vans and it gets pretty intense down in the city because there's so many buses rolling in and out and everyone's trying to get get their business get people on and on and off and when uh when the bus boys see a white guy they're like oh man we gotta we gotta get this guy because they charge us more than they charge everyone else it, i mean it's totally racist but that they make money off of us and we can't do anything about it. And so there's one time me and my companion, we hopped onto a bus that this guy was leading us to. And one of the other bus boys, he got so mad that we got onto their bus and not his bus. And so he pulled out a knife and he stabbed the tire of the other bus. <laughs> and so he wow. wouldn't let anybody go. And so he's like, you guys are getting onto our bus. <laughs> and so he, he takes us over to his bus and we, we go back to where we're supposed to go. But it's kind of just That's funny crazy. how That's you know, awesome. everyone wants the white guy to get onto their bus so they can take his money. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Other stories you'd like to share with our listeners. I love that story. It's just real life mission story. Yeah. Um, So, and one of one of the people that kind of definitely touched me the most, her name's J Janet, and she lives in Togo as well, and she's fifteen years old, and she she works coal. So, in Benin and Togo and in West Africa, you know they don't have gas ovens, but they use coal. They, they light a fire to cook their food. And so coal is a big uh, a big product they use to to cook their food and you you buy every day to to prepare. And <clears throat> so you know they'll they'll do coal mining up in the north of Benin and Togo. They'll bring the coal down and then they'll have someone just you know divide it and sell it. And so Jeanette, she, She's someone that is is down in the city and she divides the coal into piles and then sells it to just the locals. And I had worked in this area this area um maybe seven months into my mission and I'd kind of created a relationship with Jeanette. Um we taught her a little bit and she she was so fun to be around. But she was um 
she was really like a child slave. She was adopted into this family in the city and her family lived out in the village and she worked for this family and everything she made went to her adopted family and she didn't she didn't gain anything and it was really terrible to watch and it was it was really tough and she didn't speak any french um she's she's originally from nigeria and so she spoke english but she also spoke the their local language eve and so it was kind of fun she was one of the first people we taught or i taught on my mission in english wow and that i was maybe 7 months in so it was fun to to actually to use english um and get away from the french for a little bit but um it was really tough to see her go through you know such a terrible situation but um on top of everything she she was just so happy and she she i never saw her like sad or put down and she probably had the worst the worst circumstances of anybody um you know she's a child slave she worked her hours were 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day 7 days a week and it, you know that's just a joke but she was always smiling she she chose to be happy and so that was kind of a point in my mission you know where i kind of told myself like uh you know if she can be happy why can't i you know i got it so good and so that was kind of a point where i'm like okay i'm going to i'm going to be i'm going to choose to be happy like janet is and so i left that area and about a year later i came back and served in the same area and wow. and janet was still there working coal and we got to work with her and she she was never able to come to church because her adopted mom wouldn't let her leave on sunday and that was tough cuz she wanted to be baptized but i know that'll come around um but she she was like a missionary too she brought all of her friends and we taught them and her friends ended up getting baptized so janet was just she was awesome and she was so happy you know even though she she had a difficult situation that's a great story what a great woman yeah other awesome. stories i love these stories davis um yeah there we had another we had another friend um this is back in benin near the end of my mission and his name's atanas and atanas is definitely unique because he only has one leg and he um he is a single man he has no family he's not married he has no kids and he lives alone in a in kind of a little shack and in in um in Benin and Togo you know people who are disabled like that what kind of what kind of just give up and you know beg for money i mean which which is it's hard to blame those people because it's so tough but um even though atanas was disabled he only had one like he he never complained um he worked every day to provide for himself and 
uh, he he like Jeanette, um, he chose to be happy, even though he had the worst of circumstances. You know, he had one leg, he'd hobble around on crutches, um, but he'd go he'd go work out in the fields. He'd cut grass with a machete, and he he just he loved life. He loved talking to us about life. He loved the gospel, um, and he end up getting baptized and it's just it's cool to find these people that have the worst situation ever you know but they're not complaining and they're not moaning and groaning about how tough their situation is um, but they're choosing to be happy and I think that's totally one of the biggest things I learned on my mission was you know all of us have have the choice you know before my mission I had the choice, do I want to stay a year? Do I want to go now? I, we're all blessed with a choice. The um, the ability to choose, you know, God gave, gave us this, this gift. And the people I met in West Africa and Benin and Togo, you know, they use their, their choice wisely. You know, they, they choose to be happy, even though, you know, their circumstances are terrible. They could they could choose to be sad. You know, I think about how how good we have it here, and how many of us are just choosing to be sad and choosing to be not choosing happiness. You know, where you know we got the best of circumstances. We have life so good here. You know, um, but that's that's another thing I learned from Adonis. Love that story. And you may have some more, but I'm going to ask you some questions now. Yeah. If, you know, I'm here in Salt Lake City and I've never been to West Africa. If you just wanted to, and you've done this with the stories you've told, just help me understand the saints in Benin and Togo. Just teach me about, introduce them to me. <laughs> and you've done this in these stories, but just help me to understand their hearts. Yeah, um, they're totally a fun, happy, loving people. And they're, they're a lot of fun to be around. Um, you know, they can, they'll talk your ear off for forever. Um, they're so talkative and they love Jesus Christ. Um, even just the people in general. I mean, there, there's a lot of Muslims in, in Benin, tons of people practice voodoo. Um, but there's a lot of Christians who love Jesus Christ and the, the people that convert to the church of Jesus Christ, um, they, they love it, you know, you know, they, they found the truth. There's so many churches in West Africa, so many Christian churches, so many pastors and prophets and all of that people looking for money you know, using the gospel to make money. And so now that they found the truth, they're just loving it up. You know, they, they look forward to Sunday, going to church, you know, studying the gospel. And, you know, they're so fun to be around. Um, they love the hymns. They love singing the hymns. Um, whenever we'll go over to a member's house, they're like, oh, let's sing a hymn or something. And so it's just, it's, it's fun to be around and as opposed to sometimes 
I think here we we look at oh Sunday, you know, gotta go to church. Where there it's like Sunday we get to go to church, you know? And you know, they, they just love Jesus Christ. It's pretty fun. Tell our listeners, is the church growing there fast, slow? Give us an idea of how well, how the church is growing there. My impression generally in West Africa is the church is growing very fast. Yeah, the church is growing really fast in West Africa, in Benin and Togo. It's definitely growing fast. Um, I think it's just a matter of you know, making sure everyone's ready for the gospel before they get baptized. You know, a lot of people are willing to jump in the water and be baptized but you know you want them to have a solid testimony before they make such an important decision um because you know if you if you let people get baptized off the bat like that you know they can go inactive pretty fast because they don't really know what they're getting into but when when you really help them build a real testimony of, of the truthfulness of the gospel they're they're definitely they're definitely ready for it and they stay active so yeah it's definitely growing fast tell our li- listeners i know when i went on the mission to england it stretched me in ways that i've never been stretched before and often when that happens to ourselves we learn things about us that we've never known before tell her are there things you learned about you elder amos that you're glad you learned about yourselves in this really stretching situation yeah um i think you know it gets tough you you get beat up out there sometimes you know mentally emotionally um but i think everybody does even even the best of the best. I kind of think back to the Book of Mormon, to um, to Nephi, and Nephi. You kind of think, you know, there's no there's no wor- worries. He's got it all on, under wraps. He he's always he's the one that says, "I'll go, I'll do." You know, you think he has no imperfections, but in Second Nephi chapter 4 Nephi he kind of opens up to us and he he kind of he kind of tells us he kind of shows some of his imperfections and he talks about how you know Satan's getting on his nerves he's having a tough time he's a sinner um but there's a there's a statement in the middle of the chapter he says nevertheless i know in whom i've trusted and that was i love that because you know nephi you think he he has no problems he's tough he's got everything under wraps but you know he he has imperfections too he has difficulties but if we can kind of if we can say you know nevertheless i know in whom i've trusted you know that that'll give us the confidence to keep moving forward and to stay on the right path. And so I, I Nephi is a big example to me um, to just, you know, stay in it, stay tough. Yes, you're, you're imperfect. And so is everyone else. So, so am I. And, you know, 
you don't have to worry about being perfect, but you know, trust the Lord and, and follow and follow Christ. And so, you know, you, you have tough times, you have emotional difficulties, but once you kind of try and take the load off of your back and put it onto to the Lord's back, you know, he'll get you through it. And so that that kind of helped me a lot. I love that. That's some of my favorite. Um, I kind of have a Book of Mormon heroes, and Moroni and Nephi are my two Book of Mormon heroes. Totally. And I love him being vulnerable and honest in that scripture you referenced. It just made me like him more. It yeah. didn't decrease his prophetic ministry or his work, but it somehow increased it in my eyes. Totally. Other things you learned about you um, as you were stretched or other stories you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, I remember I remember a missionary that was pretty inf- inf- influential in my mission. Um, he gave this lesson that was just totally stellar about personal revelation. And it totally was a game changer for me. And, you know, I can't remember everything that was said, but one thing he talked a lot about um, were just the ways to receive personal revelation. And one one of the biggest ways for him was thoughts that came to his head after he prayed. And he, he chose to write them down in a little, in a prayer journal. And this was kind of an invitation from the prophet a few months earlier of writing down your thoughts while when you're looking for revelation. And so after he gave this, this killer lesson, I, I kind of said to myself, all right, like, I'd like to, I'd like to learn how to receive revelation as well. And, you know, I think a lot of the time when we look for revelation, maybe we think of something big that will happen, something dramatic, a life, a huge life change, maybe a big dream or something like that. But for me personally, and I think for a lot of people, that doesn't happen. I definitely with my testimony, um, it it was never like that. It was never a huge change or a or a big a big situation that, that changed every, everything. But I think it's the little things. And so when I focused on using this prayer journal, writing my thoughts after I prayed, I started to receive a lot of like real revelation and real things that were helping me in my life. And so I would, you know, I would say prayers. I would ask questions. I'd have a conversation with the Lord and I would ask him to, to send thoughts my way that were, that would answer questions and that would, that would help me in my life as a missionary, you know, just as a normal person with my own difficulties. Um, and it was, it's crazy, like how it works, you know, uh, I'll say prayers, I'll ask questions. And once I get off my knees, all sorts of thoughts will start flowing into my head, um, answers to my questions. Um, and, you know, ideas about how I can improve personally. Um, and so, I, I write that down. I kind of I set some goals in that journal, 
and then you kind of reanalyze the next day. You know, how did I how did I improve on this aspect um, from yesterday to today? And so I think that was a huge a huge step for me um, when I really got got more serious about receiving personal revelation, um, not to just you know look for the big change, not to not to just say, oh, I know the church is true, I know the Book of Mormon's true, and kind of go through the motions, but kind of maybe get out of your comfort zone a little bit and and really really push yourself to to find the truth. So that, that helped me a lot. I love that, Davis. And I, I've noticed a shift in the church with the church support or home-centered church supported. I think part of that is helping members to not just always, sometimes answers come in church talks or a discussion at Sunday school or a speaker at sacrament. So I don't want to sort of discount that, but mm-hmm. often because there's so much support um, around us as Latter-day Saints, especially in the areas where the church is mature and we have wonderful leaders, that sometimes we kind of delegate all our answers to hearing it through those sources. And sometimes we don't develop the skills you're talking about, which is really getting and developing personal revelation and the tools to do that, that you just went through. And often then those questions may be answered you know, outside of just feelings that come to our mind. But I think it's kind of a holier way or a a more sustainable way or more spiritually mature way is is everything around this is a means to help us get very good personal revelation for ourselves. Totally. And it's unique to each of us. Yeah. So I love that. Um, Other things you'd like to share about what you learned about yourself. I love this segment on personal revelation. That is so scalable and so important for every, you know, Latter-day Saint and everybody on the earth to understand that. And I love that you, it takes a little time to to learn how to do that. Um, I've learned for me, my f- formula for personal revelation is getting up in the morning, reading and praying, but most, and then I leave the house and I go for a long walk. And most of the time, and sometimes I'll pull out my phone and write notes on my phone. Yeah. I have to bring my glasses now on my walk to do that. <laughs> and that's, I don't want to just say that's the exclusive form. This Sometimes I'll right. fill it in the temple or in a podcast when I'm learning from somebody. Totally. Or, but I've learned that, you know, that's kind of my formula to just have God open the communication channel to me. And in fact, reaching out to you to do this podcast was an impression that came a couple times just that you would have some content here that would be helpful for some of our listeners. And that's true. Cool. Other thoughts, you, other stories you want to tell from your mission or things that you learned? Yeah. Um, just kind of bouncing back to what you said. Um, revelation, I don't think it ever comes from one, one specific way. Um, I think, you know, it can come out of nowhere. It can, it can come, through somebody else, you know, maybe something that you say is going to touch me or it's going to touch somebody else. And now God is using you to, to speak to this person. Um, maybe that can come in a dream in, in West Africa, they, they dream a lot and they have real answers to prayers and dreams. Me personally, I don't. And so I kind of had to find that elsewhere 
kind of more of a base to to receive answers to my questions. Maybe that can come in reading the scriptures in the Book of Mormon in the Bible. Um, maybe that can come at church. Someone's gonna will give a talk that will totally touch you. So I don't think we need to look for a huge response to questions or a huge change in our lives, but these little things that that come and go, that that's revelation. And you know, when you feel that, when you feel, you, when you feel it in your heart, you know, you know it, it's there. So, um, going back to to the mission and to you know, just ideas, um, changes. I think this one thing that I learned on my mission is, you know, anything's possible. I think looking back in the MTC when I was like, man, what am I got myself into? When I got to the mission field, I remember having those same thoughts. I I was working with my trainer. He was from um, Congo and he didn't speak any English. He spoke only French and I didn't speak any French. <laughs> and so that was tough. Like it's tough. I was thinking, man, like, am I really going to get through this? Um, but you know, when you push yourself, when you, when you search for a connection with the Lord, anything's possible. And we read that in the scriptures over and over, you know, anything's possible with the help of Christ. And it's totally true. Um, you, it's tough to do it on your own, but when you when you're really looking for that connection with the Lord, you can you can get through anything. So that's... I love that. I've loved um, a couple talks. I've loved Elder Bednar's sort of talk about personal revelation, and you're teaching the same thing. Where he talks about the light switch, where sometimes we get a very dramatic answer, but how that's the exception. Mm-hmm. Culturally, we sometimes talk about that a lot. And I think it can create a feeling in people's minds that that's the experience I should have right. to know an answer is the light switch experience. But I found that most of my revelation comes through pretty gradual line upon line. And back when I was running marathons, often I'd start at, at, when I was completely dark in a three-hour training run. And, and on a cloudy day, you know, after a couple hours, it would be completely light. But on a cloudy day, I couldn't even tell when the sun came up. I couldn't tell. It was such a grudge, but I knew it was light, and I mm-hmm. knew the sun was up, and that just sort of represented for me that answer you're talking about in your heart. I knew it was light. I didn't quite know exactly when it turned light. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually be able to look back when I got an answer sometimes and pinpoint right. where the an- exactly when the answer now running on a day when this, there's no clouds some, and you can see the sun actually come up totally. over the peak, you kind of know. And so I've had experiences. I probably have had some light switch experiences, but I've had a lot of those sort of experiences where it's daylight and I haven't quite known exactly when. And But I know in my heart an answer and I know how to move forward. So that's that's kind of my favorite talk about personal revelation. One of the things maybe in his talk is, and I think this is really true for young people that are trying to figure out their path is often there's a segment of young people, especially return missionaries who know exactly what they're going to do for the rest of their life. And they just do it. Mm-hmm. But like, that's the exception. And there's 90% of us that all we usually know in our twenties is just kind of a feeling. 
Um, And I think you were looking for a career in business, business management, and there's enough fog lifted. You kind of know the next couple steps and you take those and then you kind of know the next couple of steps. And that's the way I've seen careers work out is just people that kind of have a feeling where they should go and, and proactively take a step and not be paralyzed because they can't see 20 steps down the road and exactly how this is going to work out. And that's true with your story of serving a mission and getting the MTC and getting to Benin and sort of going, oh my gosh, what have I got myself totally. into? And now you're on the other side of a mission with the full context and the fog completely lifted of what you accomplished and what you learned about yourself. Yeah. So I love your focus on personal revelation. We're kind of coming to the end. I'm going to share a story, and then I'm going to turn it back to you, see if you've got some more stories. And I may invite you to share your testimony in French. Okay. Well, that would, um, since we're talking about Comet High School in Salt Lake City in West Africa, I'm reminded of a family story that I'm not sure I've shared on the podcast for our listeners, but my brother Dave and his wife um, served as mission presidents in Sierra Leone which is, I don't know if that's a neighboring country or just in yeah, the it's, area. It's not too far away. It's just further down the coast of West Africa. And um, in twenty, in about 2012, our son Ben, who is a friend of Davis, looks up to Davis, a fellow golfer, was playing um, junior high football and 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 had a uniform that said Osler on the back and Cotwood Colts on the front. And he grew out of that uniform and he quit playing football and he actually went and played his senior year, which is another story. But he donated that football jersey to the Desert Industries. And in the most amazing story that our family's ever happened is my brother and his wife and their two assistants were in a car going on a back road around Freetown, Sierra Leone, and Sierra Leone, and came across a young man wearing a jersey that said Osler on the back. That's so cool. And they stopped him, and he didn't. he spoke the local dialect, and the assistants were there that knew the local dialect. And at first they thought they, he was being accused of stealing the uniform. And he didn't even want his picture taken. But the assistants who spoke the language explained to him they're not. They didn't think he stole it. And and it was just this incredible tender mercy, especially for my sister-in-law, Rochelle, that God knew her. And that this football jersey from Salt Lake City, Utah, made it not even to the downtown for, um, Freetown, but this little back road. Um, and if you Google Ben Osler, Jersey, you'll find stories um, in the local newspaper here in Salt Lake as it became a story that made the local news here. But God knows us, and sometimes we get a really tender mercy that's pretty dramatic like that. Um, but lots of times we just get that feeling in our heart we're doing the right thing. And it's almost as powerful as something like that, but because we know in our own heart the personal revelation we're receiving. So we have a soft spot for that part of the world. Their mission um, ended early because of Ebola. Oh, wow. And so they had all their missionaries leave in a very short time frame, and their mission was shut down until they could solve Ebola, which did happen. And so they're very empathetic, obviously, to what's going on with missionaries leaving their mission early and missions being shut down and because they live that um, within their mission. Uh, back to you, though, Davis. Any other stories you'd like to share for our listeners? Um, yeah, I think, I think just to wrap it up, um, just what we can take away is 
we all have a choice and you know we can choose to be you know down choose to be down on ourselves or down on other people um or we can choose to be happy and choose happiness and you know god he's he's given us this wonderful um this wonderful ability to choose for ourselves and sometimes it's tricky sometimes it's tough to t- to choose happiness um but even those in in the in the most difficult situations in the slums of west africa um you know they figured out the way to choose happiness and so if we can if we can kind of push ourselves to to take control of the situation you know satan he wants he wants us to be unhappy he wants us to to be down and and dreary but if we can take control of the situation and and use our own free agency to to choose um we will definitely be on top um so i think that's that's one of the biggest takeaways love that I'd love you to share your testimony. I don't think we've ever invited anybody to share their testimony in their in the language okay. from their mission. Okay, bon. Um, je sais que Dieu il nous aime beaucoup. Um, c'est pourquoi il a envoyé son fils Jésus-Christ um, sur la terre uh, de faire un, un sacrifice pour nous. Et uh, je sais que Dieu nous aime beaucoup parce que il nous a donné une famille et la famille est réellement une grande bénédiction um, pour nous et quand nous avons la confiance um, dans nos parents et en nos familles nous pouvons accomplir les les grandes choses dans ces vies et je sais que Joseph Smith il est réellement un prophète des dieux et, et il était appelé par Dieu de um, de faire une grande œuvre sur cette terre et je sais que quand nous prions à Dieu um, il nous donne réellement les réponses de nos questions Um, mais on doit on doit faire un peu d'effort en notre part et Dieu il va il va faire son effort um, et je sais que chaque fois que on parle avec Dieu et il donne les réponses et je témoigne que toutes ces choses sont vraies au nom de Jésus-Christ Amen. Amen. Great spirit. I miss those testimonies in church. <laughs> We're not doing church. So that's a personal treat for me to hear your yeah. the spirit of you speaking French and bearing testimony to the Thank church. You. Thank you, Davis. I sure appreciate your parents, Jeff and Annette, um, for raising great young men and you and all your siblings and their service to our community, to our church. And thank you, Davis, for being on the podcast. Thanks for your service. You're welcome. To help Thanks people, for having me. To help people come into Christ. Glad to have you here. And 
My only challenge for you is someday I want you to text me and say I beat my career 63. <laughs> you okay. can't have your career round be as a junior. <laughs> so even though totally. you set the bar very, very high or low, it's a low score, a high bar. <laughs> um, someday I, I hope you're able to break that score. Maybe it'll be in another competitive tournament. And maybe the difference in that round is you won't bogey a par five. Yeah, You'll birdie not. that par five and... It'll be the difference. Totally. So you have a great life ahead of you, Davis. Thanks for your testimony and your service. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. <laughs>